Hey guys, this is Ed, Paul, and Anna of Current Brand Media, and we are here to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor. Sportsball is a great subscription service geared towards minor league baseball fans. Each box features a different minor league team. You get a box every three months with minor league baseball gear, including different styles of hats like Ed's favorite, the dad hat. The cost is less than $12 a month. Proceeds from each box goes to More Than Baseball, the only nonprofit dedicated to the well-being of minor league baseball players. We all know that Parents' Days are coming up this summer. So if you've got a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa who are particularly difficult to buy for, but you know they're baseball fans, this is the answer, guys. Meet your new favorite team at sportsballbox.com. Is there anybody there? <laughs> Her and her father have played catch with it. Uh, grandma, or excuse me, grandpa and her son have played catch with it, with it and everything like that. So now you've got three generations uh, of that family using that glove and playing catch with it. What's up, Dadhead crew? Ed here of the Dadhead Chronicles, and thank you for joining me in part one of this two-part episode with Mark. You guys know him as Minor League Mark. He restores a lot of baseball gloves, old, new, you name it, relays to some, all that fun stuff. We talked about his love for all Cleveland sports, specifically our Guardians, and then we also talked about how he got started doing all these restorations, the story behind it, everything. Everybody, 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 everybody has a story. So Mark uh, was gracious enough to give us uh, his story. So guys, without further ado, I give you the episode. All right. Well, I want to welcome you guys to yet another episode of the Dad Hat Chronicles. My name is Ed, and with me, I have my good friend Mark. A lot of people know him as Minor League Mark. Uh, we are going to talk about all things baseball. We're going to talk about restoring baseball gloves. So, um, you know what? Sit back and enjoy this, guys. I'm so excited for this. We're going to talk about the gloves that he restored for me. So, Mark. The first thing I ask everybody, my friend, how did you become a fan of this beautiful sport that we call baseball? Uh, I grew up in the mid-70s, late 70s, early 80s, a time when you wanted to entertain yourself. You were outside. You had to play outside. We didn't have video games. We didn't have cable television until I was a teenager. You know, so you had four channels of TV, and there wasn't much on. So any chance you got, you, your friends, your brothers, anybody in the neighborhood, you were outside playing, and uh, all of us, we played some sort of baseball, whether it was wiffle ball in the backyard, whether we took our gloves and, and our bats and we went up to the playground and played on the diamond up there. So uh, it's always been something that I've enjoyed, and it's just something that you, we always did. That's That was what our neighborhood and all of my friends and brothers, any chance we got, we were playing baseball. We right. played organized baseball, too. I was in Little League. I did play high school. Uh, but just the idea of playing with your friends – that's um you know how i began my love affair with this game it's true i i mean you know i i didn't grow up in the same you know mine was like 80s and 90s right and same thing we had some video games but it, it's not like the way it is now right i was always outside with our bikes or playing and it's like you come home when the light the street lights come on that's when you it's can come cool, home yeah Right. So uh, that's how it was. We played baseball. We played all sports, football, basketball, whatever sport it was. It was outdoors. And, and it was the time of my life, my friend. 
Oh, absolutely. And you just mentioned riding your bikes, and that's exactly what we do. You'd take the bat, loop it on your handlebar. You'd have your glove on the handlebar. And again, you know, you 10 or 12 friends would go up somewhere and you'd play ghost runners if you didn't have enough men, all, all that good fun stuff. Uh, like I said, that just because that's yep. what you have to do to entertain yourself. And your parents didn't want you in the house. <laughs> right. the house. So again, uh, a, a completely different era. Uh, and, you know, one that is just, you know, floods memories when I think about uh, all my friends and, you know, my brothers and all that good stuff when we were outside all, all the time. So so we were we were just talking before we started recording that you know we both us you and me uh, are both Cleveland you know Guardians you're Cleveland sports fans right absolutely um, all and, sports Cleveland yes exactly right all sports the Cavaliers the 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 Browns the the Guardians you know I, listen I'm even a Monsters you know the the Cleveland Monsters hockey team I'm a fan of them as well so we're all fans of those sports and you were about to say you know tell me the story but I was like well, all right let's let's hear the story now that we're recording because i want people to hear this yeah so i am not from cleveland i'm about four <laughs> hours east i'm about an hour east of buffalo near rochester new york the town is actually called hilton um so yeah i'm about a four hour drive away from uh the cleveland area and i became a fan when in the uh, mid to late 70s my dad on a regular basis used to travel to twinsburg which is just outside of cleveland ohio about 20 minutes half hour south of the city yep. there uh, he did business with a couple of the factories that were in that area. And in the summertime, my stuff and the brothers were always invited to come along for that two or three day trip while he was there. And uh, the people he were meeting with had seats, had tickets to the Indians at the old municipal stadium. Although you can get any tickets you wanted back in those days, because 10,000 people <laughs> might've been in that 74,000 seat stadium. True story. But we were treated to the box seats when we were treated to hot dogs and popcorn and, you know, all those good things that, you know, the businessmen wanted to make sure the family was happy. So at least two or three times every summer, we'd get to tag along with my dad on that trip. And that just cemented my fandom in Cleveland baseball, Municipal Stadium, as big as it was and as, and as empty as it was. And as a dump as it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it had its beauty, too. You know, it was, it's that, Absolutely. Old school ballparks had their own yeah, beauty, exactly. too. But it was, it was certainly, if you want to call it the name, the mistake by the lake, it was too big for a baseball stadium. Uh, but it did. It, it drew me as a fan. And it's something that stuck with me. When I became old enough to uh, drive there on my own when I was 17, 18 years old, I'd go there with two or three of my friends. We'd catch some weekend games. And I've done that ever since, uh, up until the point where now uh, I try to make 20 to 25 games a year. Almost every other weekend, I try to make a plan to get to Cleveland, uh, take my sons. Uh, I got a good friend who's a Cleveland fan here in Rochester. We'll take a road trip there. Uh, I've been a little on the light side so far this year, but I'm going to make it up here in August and September. I've got almost every weekend planned. So I'll, I'll get just a little shy of 20 games this year. I think 15 to 16 is what I'll actually hit. But yeah, no, I still uh, travel there. My wife loves going on the trips with me, and uh, it's it never gets tiring. It never gets old. You know, people ask, God, "Don't you ever get bored driving that same four-hour trip all the time?" I'm like, "Absolutely not." I've got great friends there. Uh, I've made so many great connections with uh, people. Um, and again, they're not just fr uh, friends through Twitter or through uh, you know baseball. These are people that have become near and dear to me, and they are true friends to me. That uh, I try to meet up with them. I, I try to meet them at a game, and um, you know we're more than just baseball friends. We are true friends in life now. And it's, it's a great connection. And the, like I said, the city has adopted me and accepted me as one of them because, uh, you know, it's Cleveland against the world, as you know. Yeah, hey, 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 go They're ahead. An say it. And they have taken me in and said, you're one of us. So, right. Hey, listen, it is Cleveland against the world. And you know what? Cleveland is a very underrated city. 
right? A lot of people give it a lot of slack, but that is actually a really nice city. It's right? It's come a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's come, definitely come a long way. When I went there in the 70s or 80s, you went to the game at Municipal Stadium and you got the heck out of there. You went to your hotel, in the <laughs> yeah. store, you went to wherever you had to go. There just wasn't anything for you. You know, the revival came in the 90s with those great teams and we had plenty of restaurants down by the flats and uh, up by the uh, the area that they were starting to develop for Jacobs Field and the Q Arena and all that good stuff. But it was still, you know, not as what it is now. Now the theater district and the warehouse district and uh, the arena district, all those things, they're hopping. It's pedestrian friendly. It's family friendly. There's plenty of times where you can walk on uh, East 9th Street and Ontario Street and Carnegie and yeah. moms and dads pushing their kids on the stroller. There's playgrounds for them in the public square. And uh, East 4th is a beautiful area right there by the ballpark. Absolutely. I mean, you, oh. if you can't have fun and enjoy that pedestrian friendly area there, I, I don't know what more you could possibly want. And it's a two minute walk from the stadium. So absolutely. It's like I said, very pedestrian friendly and just very people friendly city. And it, it, I like to describe Cleveland as a uh, small city that feels big. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's certainly not like New York or Los Angeles or Chicago where you couldn't possibly walk from one side of the city to the other today. But you can walk <laughs> from, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Brown Stadium to um, to the you know new progressive field yep. in less than 10 minutes and plenty of things to see and do and eat and grab a drink along the way and enjoy yourself. So, like I said, it's a it's come a long way uh, in it's I'm so happy to see all the activity of all the people down there because it used to be a ghost town and you know people oh, are still in the early 90s it was a ghost town I remember yeah. right like after it's, seven o'clock that place died absolutely you know? and people who knock it are people yeah. who are still thinking of that city that the river caught on fire back in 1969 and right and which was only a small part guys it was not the whole river so let's get this let's get that straight it was only a small <laughs> section of the river that caught fire yeah, well, and no part of a river should catch on fire, but again, it was just true story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like I said, so if you've never been there, go there for a weekend and uh, you'll find exactly what I found a very warm, welcoming uh, people. And even if you, you know, wearing uh, the opposite team's jerseys, people are going to talk to you. Where are you from? Are you visiting from New York? Are you here from Chicago or wherever you're, you're visiting mm -hmm. from? You know, the fans are very knowledgeable, they're very friendly, and uh, they're happy I'll to talk. So. And I'll give that I'll give that to Cleveland uh, fans all day long. They know their sports, right? They they know their sports. I, I mean, especially football, right? But because there's a it's the Brownstowns first, and then after that is the other sports. Um, but they know their sports. They they know their '90s. They know the you know their history. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, it, but you know, you're in Rochester, right? Home of the Rochester Red Wings. You know, Correct. minor league team. And then, but you know, New York. It's either you know, Yankees or Mets, and you didn't become a fan of any of those teams. No, I didn't. And, you know, and that, there's a funny thing, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Yankees, um, even though I am six hours away from New York City, I'm closer to Cleveland than I am <laughs> there. Uh, you know, geographically, I'm closer to Toronto. Uh, that's about a two-and-a-half-hour drive. Uh, oh. Cleveland is the closest United States-based team to me. Uh, but on all the cable channels here, it's Yankees and Mets. Um, yep. And that like any other part of the country, there's a ton of Red Sox fans. There's a ton of Dodgers fans. There's, you know, your, your big name market teams. So I, I am really kind of a anomaly to be in Rochester and be a Cleveland fan. Uh, so when people see me wearing their hat and everything like that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take some good natured ribbing, but I'll also say, how did you become a Cleveland fan? And well, there's the story. You know, my dad, you know, introduced me to that city and, uh, you know, the people that were friendly to him and friendly to, to his, you know, his family when we went there. 
they won over my hearts. And again, just seeing a major league baseball te- uh, game for the first time as a eight, nine year old kid, it just, it's something magical about it, right? Like, it you know, get, magical, going to yeah. your first major league ball game as a kid, it's just something about it. Just so much fun. And it's like, you're seeing like you, you look at these cathedral ballpark, you know, when you're that young. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the you know, Rochester is triple A for many, many years. Uh, we were the farm team for the Baltimore Orioles. And mm-hmm. back in the days, I mean, when Baltimore was those prime teams in the late seventies and eighties, all of those prospects came through here. I mean, uh, Dennis Martinez and Kale Ripken, uh, you know, Brian Roberts, uh, Brady Anderson, uh, I, I, the list goes on and on. There's too many names I could possibly mention, but all of them played not just a little bit here. They developed for one or two seasons so we got, I, I got to see this. So there's a lot of Orioles fans here too in, in, in Balt, uh, excuse me, in Rochester. Uh, we were with the Twins for the longest time uh, from 97 until 2000, 2020. And then uh, when the shakeup happened there uh, last year, now we're with the Washington Nationals. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a kid, going to those AAA games, you know, you might see four or 5,000 people there a night on a good summer night, it, you know, might have doubled to 8,000. All right, so I, I, we made a joke before when I was a kid. There might have been ten or twelve thousand people there at the uh, the Indians games at Municipal Stadium, but again, that stadium is huge. You walked yep. in, it, it's a cathedral. It's an experience. It, the grass, yeah. everything around it, just was magic. And, and, uh, and well, it was meant to be a football, you know, a stadium, right? Like you know, it was oh, for the Browns. I mean, I mean, the original idea of that stadium, it was, it was designed to be used for the 1948 Olympics. They were trying to make a bid for that. And that was an arena that yeah. could it, do the parades, track and field. And then, yeah, and then it was for football. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and then it became a shared stadium for both football and baseball. But that is a round stadium that they're trying to put a diamond in. And <laughs> it's, that doesn't work out that well. <laughs> yeah, you know, they had the, you know, the temporary blue fence out there that they put there. But if you ever watched a, an Indians game back in the uh, 80s, you know, it's like watching an Oakland uh, game uh, that you'd see the hash marks, you'd see the the fifty yard line, and all that fun stuff. <laughs> so. But there's something cool about it, though, right? Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a cool feature too. Exactly, yeah. So. So, yeah, and I love it. And I'm glad that you're, you know, I'm talking to another Cleveland fan, you know, because a lot, we get a lot of slack, right? You know, like, oh, we're the triple A, you know, quadruple A in the majors, right? It's just another team. But you know what, though? It is what it is, you know, just because of the owner. Let's not talk about that because we're, we're talking about fun stuff here today. Um, I'll, I'll just say one last thing about Cleveland. And yeah. I has always said this. You play with the team you got, not with the team you want. And these guys are performing. They're fun, exciting. Oh my God. Isn't it fun? You know, they're, they're, they're in first place right now. Can they hold on and, to, and make the playoffs? They're not built. I don't think to win the world series this year, but who knows what can happen, but there's excitement yeah. over the next couple of years. Cause these guys are young, controllable, and they're going to just gel even better together. Uh, and I'll, I'll give that to, you know, Antonetti and Turnoff and all that, right? Like they, they, they get players that are controllable for, multiple years right they have control over that so like the majority of that team is already controlled through like you know 2026 or 2027 Absolutely. so that's a long time right you know of control they're a very young team youngest team in the league uh but the key thing that you will say there is is francona that guy knows how to how to manage I, and i will I, I was wrong with about him. I was like, ah, maybe he's getting a little too old for it i was wrong i'll eat that I'm, i'll fully accept that yeah Still one of the best, best in the game. No doubt about it. Yep. Yep. So one of the, my prized possessions is uh Terry Francona sign uh, a picture that I have here. So very cool. 
yep, 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 exactly. So, all right, let's let's talk about this uh, because, you know, the way that, you know, we connected and everything was obviously through our mutual friend, Anna, of the Baseball Bucket, because you yourself are obviously a baseball fan, but you restore gloves, not just old gloves, new gloves, but like all, all kinds of gloves. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my unique connection to the game. Uh, you know, my, my shop is called This Old Glove, and – one thing that I do and love uh, more than anything is to find old baseball gloves and make them look new again. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I do just some simple repairs. Yes, I can relace a glove and, you know, um, make a modern glove, you know, put, you know, if somebody wants blue lace in there versus the brown that came with it, yeah, sure, I can do that. But the real passion is what's behind me is trying to find those 1930s to 1970s styles gloves that the leather was just artistry uh, is, is what's yeah. in them. And if you take care of them or if you restore them properly, they're going to last another hundred years. Uh, so th th that's what I really, really love to do is I try to find those 19, again, 30s to 70s style gloves, make them look new, restore them. And, and when I say restore them, I don't just oil them and put new lace in. I get into all the detail work on them. I, I will look over that glove with a fine tooth comb, try to find any kind of markings that are on that glove, any kind of signature that a player might have endorsed, any kind of serial number that was on there. Uh, and then once I find them, ink them properly, seal them in properly, and then do all the finish work on them. So that person doesn't just have a new looking glove. They can see what that glove looked like 60, 70 years ago. They know that that Oh my God, I didn't even know this was endorsed by uh, Lou Gehrig. I didn't know this had a Kale Ripken signature or whatever it might be on there, you know, because they just, it's so time worn that they forgot or they didn't yeah. know from playing with it, which you should do. Uh, it, it's knocked it away. So that's my real passion is just finding all of the details in those gloves and then doing a little research and history and find, finding out, okay, when was this glove made? You know, who made it? Where in the country was it made? And all those fun details and sharing that with the customer to let them know. Here's what you've got. You know, maybe you didn't know this about your glove. Maybe you didn't know this about your grandfather's glove, or whoever it is you found there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's more than just putting new lace in and you know putting some glove conditioner on. It's really getting into the details and making those gloves look. I like to call them vintage new. I can't make them look brand new, but I can make them. But look you don't want to make them look brand new, though. That's no, the whole no. beauty of it. They should have some flaw. They should have some characteristics to it because at one time they were played with and enjoyed it, and like the one you've got there. You know, you're having fun with yours now. Oh, oh, I'm having fun with them. Trust me. Yeah, and, and that's what I really want is, you know, people want them to make them into decorations behind them. Okay, that's great. But I tell everybody, when I'm done with this, take it outside. Play catch with it. Hear that sound. Get that feel that you forgot you know, you, that you have. Or maybe you've never experienced a 1950s glove before. It's like, how do they ever play with something like this? And, you know, it's a, it's a different way of uh, catching the ball in those gloves than the ones made today, which are much longer and bigger and I don't want to say easier, just, uh, it's a different style of glove. So. Yep. It's a different glove because they're so, you know, and, and, uh, you know, athletes today are, you know, a different kind of breed. Let's be honest about that. Right. Like the, the acrobatics and everything that they do is insane. No, but you're right though. It took a, kind, a special kind of person to catch with something like this, right? Like, you know, something like this 19, this is my, the 41 glove that I have on right now. Right. Yeah, look at that. It's got no, it's got no laces between the fingers. So it's five Nothing. separate fingers. And, uh, you know, it, it's like something you see Charlie Brown using in those old uh, cartoons yeah. thing like that. And it, it, the, the old expression with that glove, use two hands to catch the ball, something like that. You know, it, it takes a little while. You want to get it in the palm and then use yep. two hands to make sure that ball don't pop out. So, 
it trust me i did i was uh, you know as soon as i got them and i i came out and i showed i showed my wife and i said okay honey let's go outside let's go play with this because I, I i cannot you know it's so much fun so yeah yeah and, and again if you've never played catch with them before something again, it's your first time it, it is it's a lot of fun it's like a kid with a new toy basically and, uh, and that's that's how i feel when i get these gloves and you know, same thing with you right there you're your kid kid with a new toy to play with and enjoy so I've been playing with this like I always, you know, I was telling you uh, before we were recording is that I'm I this is the same test that I use for work. And when I'm calling, you know, making my calls and talking to people and all that, I still got my glove on. I play with my with my baseball and sometimes I'll hear the, you know, the that sound, you know, that pop. Right. It's just they hear that. Why? Because I'm playing with the glove while I'm talking to them. That's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> So how did you get into that though? Tell me like, you know, like, did you just decide that one day you're like, you know what, I'm going to just restore gloves. Yeah. So as a kid, uh, anytime we went shopping somewhere, anytime we went to any kind of department store, if I was with my dad, we went to the hardware store. If there's any place that had a section of sporting goods, the first thing I would ask mom or dad, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to go look at the bats and the balls and everything like that. Uh, and you know, okay, stay with your brother, but go ahead. It's okay to look over there. I've always been enamored going to any kind of store that's got sporting goods and seeing that wall of gloves, that rack of bats. And I remember as a kid just being kind of mesmerized by that. And again, going back to, you know, uh, how we started here, I grew up with nothing playing baseball and everything like that. So I had three or four gloves myself over the years, uh, you know, from as I grew, you had to get a different style of glove. As I went from a catcher to outfield, you know, you needed a different glove for that. And infield to outfield, you need a different glove as a second baseman as you do a, a right fielder. Or first so, baseman, uh, stuff yeah, like that. Always, yeah. always, always shopping and looking for gloves. But about 15 years ago, uh, I was helping my parents move some things around in their basement. And I was looking for one of my original gloves, like one of the gloves that I think I had in T-ball or junior league. I had all my other ones, but I knew it was in my parents' house somewhere. It just It was either stored in a box somewhere. So when it was time to clean up some things, I finally found this old canvas bag that my dad used when he was the coach of our little league team. And in that bag had some old Louisville slugger bats. And then there were three or four old gloves in there. One of them was mine. It was dried out. The other gloves in there had a little mildew on it. And my dad, ah, just throw that junk out. That's no good. That stuff's been sitting down here for almost 40 years now. Just throw that junk out. I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure you can, you can re-oil these. I'm pretty sure you can, you know, we can, no, no, that stuff's no good. Throw it out. I said, I'm taking it home with me. Go ahead. Get it out of my basement. So, you know, okay, so I, I will. Yeah, so no argument there. You know, so I, I brought all those things home. And, you know, I, I just started kind of playing around. I didn't really do any research, but I just said, all right, you know, I remember as a kid putting glove oil and good old-fashioned gloveoleum was the brand name that Rawlings used. Mm -hmm. and I, I went out and bought some of that and put it on my glove, and it was okay. I was like, you know, I, I bet there's a better method than this. So just starting, you know, to read, you know, about different types of leather and different types of care, you know, trial and error. I finally started coming up with my own method for doing that. Uh, and then once I got comfortable with conditioning the glove, I was like, all right, let's pull these old laces out and let's put some new laces in because if I really want to use this, you know, I made the glove look good, but these laces, if I throw a ball in it, it's going to split and it's going to whack me right in the face. So I, I need to restring the whole glove. Uh, and that was a learning process there because every glove has got a different pattern. Every glove has yeah. got different uh, types of lace, different size. Uh, so that was something, again, I had to learn to do. Uh, and there's a couple of videos out there, but I really was, uh, again, just trial and error. Uh, and, or in my case, when I would get a glove, um, 
whatever you do, you don't pull all the lace out first and then try to string it back up because you'll never be able to remember the pattern, even though you think, oh, it's so easy. So what I started doing is pulling it out stitch by stitch, you know, so as I pulled one out, I put the new one in, pulled the old one out and put the new one in. And, you know, all said and done, you know, two days later, I finally had my one little league glove all stitched up. Now I can do that same glove almost by memory in less than two hours. So like I said, I've, I've you know, I've got the patterns memorized. I knew I can look at any, just about any glove right now and say, all right, I know exactly how to start, where to finish on this. Uh, and then we go from there. Now, nothing, when you find anything old, you know, there's nothing perfect in this world. You're always going to run into a snag. You're always going to run into something funky. And it's like, okay, what's the plan B on this? If something goes wrong in this, and now let's get to one of your gloves. So you gave me two gloves, uh, you gave 1941, which was made by Draper and Maynard. And then you gave me that beautiful Rawlings glove. Now, when I first got those, I was like, oh, this Rawlings glove, it's going to be easy. It's going to be beautiful. The Draper and Maynard is going to be the more challenging one. Now, even though that one needed more repair and that one, it actually cleaned up nicer. Yeah. The ink that I put in there took very nicely. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I put those two pieces on the web for you right there to make that repair so you can catch the ball on the web properly. That ended up being a little easier glove. To <laughs> of course it was. And I thought that was going to be the more challenging one. Now, the Rawlings one cleaned up beautiful. It, it, uh, uh, the, the color came out beautiful. It oh, flexed But that one, the ink in that one, uh, it's a special type of like polyurethane oil ink that I use to get into all those markings, to get the Rawlings, to get the signature. Every time I put the ink in there, I'd come back an hour or so. Excuse me, that's a Wilson, not a Rawlings. I'm sorry, that's a Wilson glove. Yes. Um, every time I'd come back, it, it was almost like the ink vanished and disappeared. I'm like, what the heck happened? <laughs> and, I, and I've had that happen once or twice before, but I was like, it, it's very rare. It usually absorbs into the leather really nicely. I mean, after I do the cleaning process, after I do everything like that, it's usually, a, you know, the, the ink is my favorite part. It's, it's very meticulous and time consuming, but it's my favorite because it's like, this is what's really going to make this pop. This, this did detail work right now is, is the, uh, you know, the icing on the top right here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I, I got stumped on this one. I was like, it's not working. So uh, in that case, you got to go to, like I said, a plan B or a plan C. So actually in your glove right there uh, is Chevy Silverado midnight black touch-up paint. <laughs> from no way. So yeah, it's not something I normally use, uh, but that's a little bit tougher, almost like an enamel. Because think about it. If you, if you, if you have to touch up your car and you're going to take it to the car wash, you need something tough and durable. That's so that awesome. So, so yeah, so that is, like I said, uh, Chevy Silverado Midnight Black um, with a very fine brush into all the detail work. It bonded. It dried. I put two coats of that on there after trying something, you know, after using the usual stuff that I use. Like I said, I usually use a polyurethane. It's it's almost like a marker what I use, uh, but it's not. You know, it kind of looks like a Sharpie, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work. And like I said, 90% of the time it does. So this time I had to switch to something else and it worked. It worked. <laughs> Beautiful, it dried properly, and it's going to be Chevy tough for you, all right? Oh, yeah, it ain't going nowhere. No, <laughs> American-made. That is permanent. So, so like I said, so there's always something, you know, different. Every time I get a glove, you know, there's always going to be that maybe that one little challenge that I was like, all right, um, what do we do here? So, <laughs> but that's the that's the beauty of it, though, right? I'm I'm guessing oh. that's like you know that's the the best part about it is figuring out a puzzle. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just doing the same thing over and over. And sure, that, that gets, I, I don't want to say ever gets tedious because, you know, I, I, I can do 10 of these a day uh, and I and never get bored doing that. Uh, but when I get something like that, I was like, okay, now we've got a challenge. Now we've got something, you know, the, 
that we got to come up with, like I said, that's that plan B for here or, or sometimes even a plan C uh, in place right there. And that's exactly what I did there. And, uh, you know, it couldn't have made me, it made me happier to come up with a solution on that one. And uh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So now do you get a lot of requests to uh, get, you know, like someone like me and say, Hey, I have this glove. Do you think you can do something with it? You know, you know, restore it back live. You get a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm sure we'll touch on that later, but uh, I do have a shop on Etsy. Yes, you do. Uh, yes, you do. But yeah, I also offer the service of, again, uh, restoring the glove right there. People can reach out. I've had people reach out to me on Twitter. You know, I always post before and after pictures of every it's project beautiful. I do. I, I've got, a, uh, you know, I, I've got well over a thousand pictures of all the gloves start to finish. Um you know, what it looked like before and what it looks like finished. And I always post them and that's drawn a lot of people uh, on Twitter uh, just to, you know, ages comments. Like, I can't believe that's the same glove well, that, you know, it's absolutely beautiful how that was just, you know, five days ago. Now it looks like this. Then people, you know, a week later, Hey, I found my old glove. What do you think? You know, I said, well, send me, you know, in a DM or in an email, let's get a couple more pictures. I need a little more detail work and everything like that. And they'll send me some pictures. Uh, we, you know, we get chatting uh, twice now. As I've gone to Cleveland, people there have said, hey, instead of me mailing it, what do you say we meet up somewhere and I'll bring the glove? So, and these are people I've never <laughs> met before. And again, so now we get back to, again, now I've got not only a customer, but I've got a great friend that I picked up the glove, brought it home with me. Two weeks later, when I'm going back to a game, hey, let's meet up again at that, uh, you know, at that restaurant again, and I'll bring the glove with you. And so yeah, I'll do that. But no, people can also mail it to me, uh, you know, like me and you did. We just put yep. it in a box, put it in an envelope, put it in a package. And uh, ship it off to each other. Uh, two, three days later, it shows up at my door. I let everybody know I've got it. I'm going to start working on it. And then, uh, you know, I ask the questions back to people or just say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And most people were just like you. Use your imagination. Just do it. Do the best job you can. And, I, you know, whatever you say is is, is what you want. Out You're of the it. expert. You're the expert. I, yeah, I'm exactly. just someone. Exactly. The only thing that we had a really discussion was was right here. On this, it was so like it was some lettering, and your ass was like, hey, "Do you want to keep that? Is that something that me?" So I'm like, "Absolutely nothing, go for it, <laughs> right?" Yeah. So, so on your glove right there, exactly the 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 web right there, uh, you had I can't remember the name, but you you had writing all over the that uh, wrist part of the glove right there. Yep. And if that was a family connection, you know, or if that was yours as a kid, I would have asked, "Hey, do you want to keep that?" Uh, B, do you want me to rub that out and try to keep the original color? Now, when you rub out ink that's been in a glove for 40, 50, 60 years, it can damage the leather and it might not match the rest of it. So in, in the case of yours, the best thing that I found was let's just change it. Well, you know, let's not make it, let's not try to um, make it brown. Let's do a, a contrasting color that would still be appropriate. So in that one right there, we did that antique black dye on the wrist. And then the two pieces on the web are also dyed that antique black. So that made a nice compliment. And then I put the black laces uh, in, in there too. So it looks about as original as it could be. And we did that, there's a kind of a cosmetic makeover on that right. wrist to get rid of it. So yeah. and again, some people want to keep the family name on there. I, mean, I just did a uh, job for a very, very good friend recently. And uh, her dad's name was written in it. I said, what would you like? You know, would you like? And the name had faded over time. You know, her father just wrote his name on the, the pinky area and in the uh, the palm area. And she says, oh, just leave it be. And then she said, do you think you could uh, make it darker? I said, absolutely. It's the same as what I do with all the other things. I said, so, yeah, if you'd like me to put some ink over the top of it, 
And all said and done, it looked like a brand new glove that he just put his name on two days ago. So, and, and she was absolutely thrilled with it. Um, uh, her and her father have played catch with it. Uh, grandma, or excuse me, grandpa and her son have played catch with it, with it and everything like that. So now you've got three generations uh, of that family using that glove and playing catch with it. Uh, and I also customized a glove for her as well, because you know, she was telling me a story how her son uh, just started playing uh, Little League this year. And just every night, can we play catch? Can we play catch? And she didn't have her own glove. I said, I'm, I'm making a glove for you. You know, so I had some old gloves around here, which uh, didn't have any sentimental value. I said, I'm going to make a glove for you. I'm going to fix one up. That way you and your son can play. So oh. uh, that was that just, you know, was something that was my pleasure to do because I, I wanted to see that next generation, you know, the eight-year-old, the mom and grandpa all playing catch together. And uh, they sent me some beautiful pictures of that. And it was all well worth it for that right there. Listen, so. you can't make me cry on my own podcast, man. Come on now. <laughs> That's awesome. Baseball, hey, hey, I don't care what you say, Tom Hanks. Baseball will make you cry, okay? Yeah, it sure can. It sure can. And it's it, it reminds me, it's like, you know, I, when, you know, I, I bought my daughter her glove and everything, and I love it. You know, we, I, we recorded just because I wanted to keep it for as a, you know, keepsake and, you know, of me playing catch with, you know, my daughter. And it's like, there's nothing better in the world. That feeling that you get when you're playing catch with your own kid. It's just, it's just pure magic. I hope you guys enjoy that episode with Mark. Stay tuned for part two, okay? We're on part two. We are going to talk about uh, how to break down a brand new glove, uh, some of the cleaning solutions out there that can help you uh, restore and uh, keep uh, your glove uh, up to date and make sure that it is nice and good for you to be using it out there, just like I am and just like I did with some of the gloves and some of the things that he suggested. Uh, before I go, you guys already know, uh, make sure you guys are subscribed to the episode and the podcast. Uh, that way, I you guys are always in the know when a new episode drops. Give it five stars. What a five star does is it helps me go up on the rankings so that way more people are able to find uh, this podcast. But as you guys already know, I got to give you the dad joke of the episode. And here it is. Where do you keep? your mitt while driving in the glove compartment all right all right i'll see myself out and until then guys keep on grinding and always support the minor leagues see ya This podcast is part of the Curved Brand Media Network. Here are some of the other members of Curved Brand Media. Hi, this is Ed Rivera of the Data Chronicles. Join me as I interview people just like you and players, coaches, GMs on the path that led you to become a fan of the sport. I'm Paul Caputo, and on the Baseball by Design podcast, I talk to minor league baseball teams, designers, and other super interesting people about what these minor league baseball logos mean. And I talk a little bit about ice cream helmets. What's up, Bucketheads? I'm Anna DiTomaso, and each week on the Baseball Bucket List podcast, I speak with a different fan about their favorite baseball memories, what the game means to them, and what's left to check off on their baseball bucket list. Hey guys, this is Patrick Larson from the Minor League Baseball Hat History Series, and in every episode, I go through the history of minor league teams through my personal collection of hats. You can find me on Twitter at, at PatLarson1, 
I hope you guys enjoy. This is Patrick. And Corey. Of BaseballMapper.com. And we have made an interactive map to help highlight all baseball teams from the majors down to collegiate summer leagues. We want to bring you closer to baseball. So get on the site and find a team near you today. Learn more about Curve Brim Media at CurveBrimMedia.com.